<laughs> we are live on YouTube. This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for What in the World with Paul Seaburn and his sidekick, John Donalo, and the one and only Karen Hayden. Oh, and that, uh, that's my cue. <laughs> that's your cue. <laughs> that's my cue. Hey, everybody. That's right. It is What in the World, everybody's favorite weird news show. Real news, sometimes strange, always funny. Um, this is this is everybody's favorite podcast, of course, because... Absolutely. Yeah, you come here for, for strange news, not the... the the politics and the business and the and the um, all the other bad stuff that's going on in the world. Come here to have some fun. Who do you have fun with? You have fun with me. I'm your host, Paul Sieber, and I'm the uh, editor and the head writer at Mysterious Universe. You've had fun with Karen Hale. She's the media mogul at NewClevelandRadio.net, our platform. Go visit NewClevelandRadio.net. You find out how to download us. Find us on YouTube. Uh, and I, I mentioned that because I've got a lot of photos today that I'll be talking about. So if you're if, if you're uh, listening to us, it's always worth it to take a quick look over at uh, at YouTube and uh, check out the photos. And then, of course, John Denalo, host of What in the World of Sports with John Denalo. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Paul and Karen, and uh, looking forward to a, another great show. Another great show. That's right. Well, you're a key element of that, John, as always. So um, we've got, I, I want to do a couple of shout outs. You know, we we missed a few weeks. So um, our our, uh, our hardcore fans are so thrilled that we're back. Um, I heard from Brian um, and I also heard from Mark down in, in Austin. So uh, thank you guys for uh, for hanging in there and uh, and hope you enjoy the show today. Mark, Mark sent a Cleveland, a Cleveland story that wasn't weird enough. It didn't make the cut. Um, so he'll, I send him an email so he won't be disappointed, you know, because, because uh, our, our, you know, our, 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 our hardcore listeners just get so wrapped up in these stories. They just love them so much. Um, we hope everybody else does too. We're really looking forward to uh, building our base. And like I said, go to nuclearradio.net. Check us out there. Check out some of the other podcasts that Karen has there. They're interesting, insightful, um, nowhere near as funny as what in the world. But that's, you know, that's why we're there. Nothing okay. is as funny as you. Th there we go. <laughs> and we'll be, as a matter of fact, we'll be talking about that uh, and some interesting um, developments in the world of humor as it, as it pertains to strange news. Figure that out. Okay, so here we go with uh, with uh, a preview of what you're going to hear in the next hour. Uh, a 10-foot werewolf has been seen in Ohio. 10-foot werewolf. We had 10-foot aliens last week, 10-foot werewolves this week. We had chupacabras last week. We had chupacabras this week. A chupacabra warning from the government of Texas. Like they wow. have nothing else. Yeah, nothing else to worry about. Um, the latest knock, knock less. The uh, <laughs> Loch Ness monster photo, John. I know you'll be looking forward to seeing this. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I do have. I also have photos of the chupacabra and the uh, werewolf. So, like I said, this is a big photo day for those of you who are listening. Um, plastic surgery for dummies. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, a place for Cheez-Its fans in um, California. If you're a fan of the little snack Cheez-Its, I've got a great story for you there. The best place to be a swan in the world and the worst place to be a chicken. Um, so, you know, we we draw all kinds of, of uh, listeners on this show. So uh, bird lovers and birds as well. Uh, some more odd news. We got some world records. John's got a great sport for us this week. And then we play everybody's favorite weird news game, Bluff the Coho. So we got so much to go on. Let's get right to it with uh, our story from Ohio. You know, we, we um, uh, your host all live in the Northeast Ohio area, south of Cleveland. And uh, so we love stories from, from Ohio. And this one is from Dayton, from the Dayton area. So in case you live in Cleveland and you're worried about a 10-foot werewolf, it's in Dayton for now. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for the warning. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, so um, uh, as I said, last week we were talking about the 10-foot aliens in Las Vegas. This week it's it's actually a nine-and-a-half-foot werewolf in Dayton. So a woman in Dayton um, is getting calls because of this nine and a half foot werewolf that people are seeing in her yard. And um, 
she refuses to do anything about it because she says it's a, it's it's better than having a guard dog. So um, let me let me put up a, a photo for you because I know you guys want to see what this uh, nine nine and a half foot werewolf looks like. So there it is, right there. Oh. Nine and a half foot werewolf. Yeah, pretty scary, isn't it? Patriotic yeah, it looks, too. Yeah, it looks very imposing. Very imposing. Yes, very plastic. Uh, for those of you who are wondering if it's if it's real or not, it's um, definitely uh, one of those things that you put up at Halloween, which is what she did. Um, she said that um, um, she she put it up at Halloween and she liked it so much that she just left it up for, for the rest of the year. Kind of like John does with his Christmas lights. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the, the police, the police, the, the neighbors are calling the police and uh, the police refuse to do anything about it because, A, they don't have a silver bullet that big. And B, oh. they they don't have enough garlic to wear around their necks to protect them from this werewolf. Um, so so yeah, it's not real. It's for those of you who can't see it, it's it's at least patriotic. It's wearing a um a flag shirt and holding a flag. So it looks like she may have had it out for flag day. A couple of flags, as a matter of fact. Uh along with the skeleton of what looks like it might be a squirrel that it caught. Um, so, you know, this is a weird, weird thing all the way around. Um, she named him Phil, um, which, which some of her neighbors say is short for filled my pants when I saw it. Um, uh, <laughs> it has its own Facebook page. So if you want to look it up, Phil, it's, I think it's called Phil the Werewolf. Um, its birthday is Halloween. If you look up it on Facebook page, um, you'll find out its birthday is Halloween. Its favorite actor is Lon Chaney Jr., um, with, not surprising. Um, wears a flag, but has no preference uh, for political parties. It's it likes to be a lone wolf. So oh, that was good. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good, pretty good, Paul. Get ready, get ready. We we got a show full of them here. Okay, so that's our our wolf down in uh, Dayton. Now we go to um, England for the um, um, plastic surgery for dummies story. So this is. Um, you'll you'll figure out right real fast what we're talking about here. Allison Gunn Robeson is the lady's name. She bought a battered ventriloquist dummy made in 1898 to the host of a TV show on the BBC called The Repair Shop. So let me give you a photo here of what the dummy looks like. Why I said it's she went she needs plastic surgery for dummies. So you can see. Obviously, it's an old, if, if you watch America's Got Talent, you'll never see anything as gross as this dummy. Um, it's <laughs> old, right, John? You know, yeah, that's right. That's right, Paul. It's Paul. the old style with the wooden dummy, you know, the eyelids go up and down and the mouth moves. That's pretty much about all you get out of this dummy. But it's beat up. It's its hair looks messy. It, it just looks awful. So she took it to this place called the, re, the repair shop. It's one of these do it, you know, home improvement for dummies. Uh, shows and asked them if they could fix it for her um and what happened was that they did fix it but but before that happened um they got all kind of complaints from viewers that the the doll was creeping them out um you know a lot of people don't like dolls in general um you know the some of these dolls look like they're possessed this one certainly looks like it's possessed by a a slob um but nonetheless possessed um didn't bother the um, uh, the repair guys. So here's the um, here's the, the the dummy as it was uh, put back together and painted up and combed his hair and fixed the paint on his face. So what do you say? Did that look uh, less creepy than the original? I would Not say so. much. You don't think so, Karen? I, I, no. I think it's better. I, okay. I, significantly better. I don't know, but it's better. Put it in there. Better. Case. Okay. Look like anybody you know, just out of curiosity. Thankfully, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, it, you know, the lady thought it looked so good that um, she wants to appear on a new competition show in England, um, similar to one of the ones in the United States, except this one is for, for puppets only, and it's called A Mannequin's Got Talent. Um, oh. Got talent. There you yeah, go. Catchy. Yeah, kind of a catchy, <laughs> catchy title. <Paul. laughs> she says, "I this I love for for my my dear friend down in uh, in Texas from England. He'll he'll appreciate this, as will his wife, text uh, text chick. 
um, when the lady brought the the dummy to the uh, to the show, they asked her what was wrong. And I want to quote: She says, "All his workings has gone a little bit whatsity, a little bit whatsity, very British, um, very British term for whatever that means." I I think I know what it means because my doctor said it to me when I went back for, for my checkup. Um, everything looked a little bit whatsity. So. Um, <laughs> I didn't, you know, I've been involved in the ventriloquism business for, for some time when I was a, a comedy writer. I, um, um, I worked for a number of ventriloquists and um, I learned that, that a lot of people look down on ventriloquism and I, I wasn't sure why. And so I did a bit of research. Um, originally, ventriloquism was a religious practice. Uh, a lot of churches, including the Catholic Church, apparently, um, the name um, ventriloquism is lat comes from the Latin word, which means to speak from the stomach. Venter means belly, and loki means speak. Uh, I do that all the time, you know, usually after Mexican food. Um, <laughs> You're not alone the, in that. Uh, yeah. I'm so, alone. but it it's related to the stomach, John. The uh, the Greeks called it gastromancy, which sounds a little more scary. Um, the the noises, yeah, the noises uh, produced by the stomach were get get a load of this. This is why the church church was scared. They thought that the noises produced by the stomach were were uh, the voices of the undead who took up residence in the stomach of the ventriloquist. Then the ventriloquist would interpret the sounds as they were thought to be able to speak to the dead. So the ventriloquist thought uh, which were bragged that they could speak to the dead as well as foretell the future. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is that there's not nothing so bad about that. I think that, you know, being a Catholic, I think priests should become ventriloquists. I think it'd be a lot more fun to go to confession um, where I tell my sins to the priest and then the dummy, you know, he, he figures out what, what, what I did wrong and what my penance should be. I don't, what do you think, John? Would that be popular? Uh, you know what, Paul? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not intentionally <laughs> big on this one, but I don't know. It, it's it's hard to call. It's uh, hard to call. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I have, I'll let I'll let you bring it up to your pastor first. Um, uh, well, okay. I'll see what kind of response I get. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now we go to um, uh, oh, Karen. We Karen's favorite subject: chupacabras. Ooh, uh, chupacabra. Yeah. So so we talked about. Um, we had a photo uh, last week of a chupacabra in Bolivia in a field uh, that was, was taken by a drone. And, you know, John, John pretty much hit the nail on the head that it was far too blurry and pixelated to look like anything that we could believe in. Um, so then there was one in um, um, uh, Guatemala. Um, so, so this just happened last week where a woman found 75 chickens. Uh, that were the chickens, ducks, and turkeys in a 25-mile radius around her farm that had been um, attacked from behind and had their blood drained from their bodies. Uh, yeah, I know. This is this is the, called the Guatemalan KFC, killed, frightened <laughs> oh, chickens. Um, but so, you know, they don't know what to do. I said, you know, put, a, put up a big sign telling the chupacabra that a vegan diet is much better than, than poultry. But um, what, what I thought was interesting was that Texas A&M down in, in um, uh, College Station, just north of Houston, has done research on the chupacabra. Believe it or not. Now, here's a uh, Texas chupacabra for you but, to take a look at there. So, so this is a, uh, the head of a chupacabra, according to um, uh, the person who found it. And this uh, this comes from WXAN in in Austin, Texas, which is saying that that the uh, you know the government is warning people to be on the lookout for chupacabras this summer, apparently because of the heat. So um, this is the head of a chupacabra. This was found in August of 2007 in Cuero, Texas. I'm not sure where that's at. What do you say? Did that look like a chupacabra or something else? Karen, Almost. you're the chupacabra person. Well, it looks like a cross between a boar's head and something else. I don't know. Kind of dogish. 
Yeah. The tongue looks a little doggish and the canine tooth. John, what do you say about that? Yeah, it looks more doggish. Uh, but or uh, to Karen's point, like a boar, maybe a, a cross between a dog and a boar. Dog but... and a boar. Yeah. OK, so Texas A&M 2017, they did a study, the AgriLife Extension, uh, did extensive research on the subject and the most likely explanation for the sightings of the chupacabra. Now, uh, we always talk about the classic chupacabra. This is the classic chupacabra. This is the kind that uh, people report seeing in um, um, Puerto Rico. I apologize for the uh, the fact that its rear end is pointing to the camera. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but you get the general idea. It has a it spikes on the back. It can stand up and walk on two legs rather than four. Uh, has uh, uh, dog-like features, dog-like teeth, uh, pointy tail, but more of a leathery skin than fur. So there's your there's your classic chupacabra. Um, okay. The Texas chupacabra looks more like this. Now there's a photo of that that someone sent to Texas A&M and said, "I think this is a chupacabra. What do you think it is?" And um, they they took a look at it. And they said it's a wolf, um, a coyote, a coyote with mange, which is a skin disease that causes your hair to fall out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so um, the, the Texas government, you know, they get these calls all the time. So they issued a statement to the, the WXAN reported on saying, uh, if you if you see something like this, report it to the police or report it to wildlife. Don't touch it because if you touch it, you could get what they have. Yeah, yeah. So they said, consider if you if you touch it, you should consider bathing. Not definitely bathe, but consider bathing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's a pretty mangy looking creature to me. And it uh, sure is. I know and, it's scary. You really, don't turn into a chupacabra, though. Yeah, I, I uh, imagine it, it really looks like a coyote to me. Coyote. Yeah, it does look like a coyote. That's that's the the prevailing theory in Texas is that. Um, uh, because of the heat, you know, we were just talking about this before the show. It's so hot. It's in the triple digits in, in both Houston and Dallas. I don't know about Austin. Uh, so, so these animals get state, they, their immune systems are low, just like in humans. Uh, they're more susceptible to, to diseases and mange is a, is a pretty common disease. So, okay. All right. Well, we won't talk about that anymore. Let's go to Scotland. And if we're in Scotland, we're looking for the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, so this comes from Ishan Camel is the guy's name. He's a pharmacist from France. He and his wife, Elian, not Elaine, but Elian, um, were visiting Loch Ness, and they spotted a 65-foot-long Loch Ness monster. And, John, I know you want to see a photo. So there's a photo of a 65-foot-long Loch Ness monster in, in the lake. Uh, let me give you some details. Just below, it was just below the surface of the water, big long shadow there. They said that it stayed there for several minutes. They took pictures, the three of which they submitted to the, um, the Loch Ness Monster Registration Service. This is the this was the best one. Um, so, um, so what do you think, John? What does that look like to you? I mean, it's obviously a shadow of something, but I have to say honestly that it's hard to determine if it's the Loch Ness monster I mean I really I, I, I like to believe that it is and it may be well well okay we know it's Loch Ness so it's the Loch Ness something okay okay How's that? but to to really pinpoint it and uh, really identify it as what I perceive as being the Loch Ness monster uh, I have to be at the center on this one I'm sorry so no uh no head, no tail, no no humps. It, you know, it's pretty much all we have is the shadow. It, right. it, it looks a little to me. You, we we have no perspective, which is bad. Um, mm -hmm. It almost looks like it's a little boat, and that's a wake behind it. But they swore it wasn't a boat; it was stationary. Um, so I, I I don't know what it is. I I agree. It's very too little to to determine that this is the actual Loch Ness monster. These guys, you know, they're from France. So the first thing they said was, oh, oh we, it's a giant snail, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to, they were looking for butter. Um, oh, now wait a minute. Wouldn't it stand a reason, though, if they saw this shadow or this creature in, in the lake, 
couldn't they like take a stay a little longer and see if it would surface and then try to take a, a photo? Um, I'm good, good observation, John. Maybe they were scared. Um, could be, yeah, sure. Were okay. Hungry, I don't, <laughs> yeah, right. I, it, it's it's hard to say without you know that's as much as they gave in their interview to right. the uh, the registry. Well, uh, maybe this will be a story to be continued, Paul and Karen. Maybe yeah. They, now they they said they watched it. You know they they it was visible. They watched it for for uh, a number of minutes. Um, so so the the guy he was he said he was French. So he got an eyeful of the um, Loch Ness monster. An eyeful of the Loch Ness monster. We'll just keep on going after that. Yeah, one. I think uh, so. <laughs> so today's feel good story. This is for this. I posted this one on Facebook and it was so popular. I wanted to talk about it. This is our feel good story for the day. A couple who spent their honeymoon night at the old Mulebach Hotel in Kansas City, Missouri. It's no longer the, the old Mulebach Hotel. It was purchased by Marriott, I believe. Um, but they stayed there 40 years ago. And uh, they're going through, they, it's their 40th anniversary, they're going through their wedding album, and they found a coupon. They found a coupon. There's your coupon right there. The Lifetime Honeymoon Certificate, which says that the bearer can use it in, in any year on the month of their wedding anniversary to stay at the hotel at the same price as their wedding night. And you can see on this coupon... They're, they were there on, on June 25th, 1983. They paid $38 a night. So they called them up. They're now owned by the Marriott in Kansas City. The Marriott said, yes, we will honor your um, coupon. Good. Good. Yeah, yeah, pretty nice. Now, you know, room costs far more than that now. Um, so they, you know, they took the money, you know, a big sizable amount of money that, that, that they saved and they they bought a box a, a bag of peanuts out at a mini bar and that was it that's all they had um they, <laughs> i one of one of my one of my uh, readers on facebook said oh that's not true and i said okay they got a coke too and then they were out of money um okay those mini bar i can't believe that people still buy stuff out of mini bars that you know for as much as you can call and have Uber deliver something, a bag of peanuts, and it'll cost you less than it would if you buy it out of a hotel minibar. You Don't, are right. Yeah. I yeah. guess, well, I think people are paying for convenience, obviously, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I suppose, yeah. If you can't wait 10 minutes or walk down to the, um, to the, um, uh, shop. so do you, you know, this is, this was, this was a good idea. They saved the certificate. People don't, we don't have coupons anymore. You know, I go looking for coupons. I'm going you know, to tell you how old we are. I go looking for coupons in the newspaper and clip them out. Um, the lovely Donna is more high tech than me. She has them on her phone. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Karen, yep. I'm sure that's what you do. Sure. You yeah, my wife coupons. does the same. My wife has coupons on, on, on her phone. Yes. On her phone. So, so people still save coupons. They just don't cut them out of the newspaper. Like You're somebody. right. Yep. What about lifetime warranties? Do we still do you have a file at home for lifetime warranties? Uh, that's that, yep. that's something of the past, I think. <laughs> we we have a file. I, that's a good idea. You know, I uh, Jay Leno used to do a joke about his parents. His father saved a, uh, a you know, Jay Leno's a multi 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 millionaire, and he said he goes home one day to, to Boston and. Uh, uh, he notices that the toilet is broken in the guest room. His father didn't notice. He said, Dad, your toilet's broken in the, the toilet seat. I'll go get you a new one. No, no, no. I got a lifetime warranty on that. And sure enough, he had a file and he went back and he pulled it out. And, and he said, I'm not going with you. You know, I'll be too embarrassed. Here I am, a millionaire. And my father's taking a coupon to go get a toilet seat because he's got a lifetime guarantee on it. Um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> that was unbelievable. Okay. Here's another one from Facebook here. This was this was hot off the press today. The um, uh, we love talking about food on what in the world. So this is another one. I've got a photo of it because you're not going to believe, and John, especially you, you're not going to believe it when you see it. Uh, this is this is a hot new menu item from Pizza Hut, but not Pizza Hut in the United States. Pizza Hut in Japan. It's the coffee, whipped cream, and sausage 
pizza. Oh, no. What, yeah. what a horrible combination. Oh, that my is. God. There you go, right there. Coffee, whipped cream, and sausage. They call it the Wiener Coffee Pizza. The, you know, the, and you know, translation do weird things for, for sausage, but it's the Wiener Coffee Pizza. It's made by covering a, a regular crust with coffee sauce instead of um, pizza sauce. Replace, <laughs> it gets worse. Replacing the mozzarella cheese with cream cheese, then covering it with sausage pieces, and then scooping gobs of whipped cream all over it. Um, <laughs> that's a tough one. Paul, that, Paul and Karen, an audience, that's a tough one. <laughs> there you go. John, I'm not you, having it. Well, I'll tell you what. If you eat one and you can hold it down for 30 minutes, it's free. So you might want to try it. No. The, uh, oh, boy. They I'm may gonna pass. That may be what the Japanese words say up there. Uh, it's, they, they call it kind of like a hot coffee-flavored cheesecake. Right. A hot coffee-flavored cheesecake that you actually dropped into a, a pot of spaghetti. Um, you know. But you have sausage on it. Like that's uh. yeah yeah I know the sausage they they try to they try to, to compensate if if you look at the picture the sausage is actually ringing the um uh, around the outside of the the uh, oh I see that yeah what I think yeah. though I think yeah. this, so it's like it's like bring... uh, yeah it's a combination of of your main course and your dessert. Still not okay. appealing. No, to me, it just brings too many collisions of taste. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would say it's you know people like this kind of stuff combining uh, the main course and dessert. I was at Dairy Queen the other day, and the person in front of me uh, ordered a hamburger, and then they had it whipped into a blizzard. So you know, no, <laughs> no you're not serious, are you? <laughs> oh, no, I'm not serious. But, Go ahead. <laughs> You've restored my faith in mankind, Paul. I don't think I don't think Dairy Queen. They'd probably be too upset. You know, it's it's against the bylaws of the of the Queen. Probably, <laughs> yep. All right, so let's take that disgusting photo down there, and let's talk a little bit uh, about a couple of stories that don't have photos. So this one comes from Germany. Oh, this is this is uh, very pertinent to our our show. Uh, these two German researchers published a new paper using chat GPT, you know, the big um, chat bot that everybody's worried about, artificial intelligence. They used it to understand and generate humor. So they actually tried to write, uh, asked chat GPT to write jokes. And what they found was not only was the, the comedy bad, but it generated the same 25 jokes over and over again. And most of the jokes were worse than the ones you find in joke books. So this is proof that we don't use ChatGPT at all uh, because our jokes are better than, than than that sort of thing, right? I would say Absolutely. I would say, oh, yes. I would say so. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, <laughs> the uh, they put it in a they put it in a robot. They put it into a comedian robot. And the first thing the robot said was, pull my mechanical finger. So that's how oh, bad. So. <laughs> so we're definitely not artificial intelligence. We use all new jokes. In fact, we have no intelligence at all that's um, artificial or otherwise. So you don't have to worry about anything like that on our show. Um, now, this, this was from um, um, speaking of artificial intelligence. So second time in a month, a tourist in uh, uh, Hawaii, uh, at the, the Honohakoa Small Boat Harbor, uh, drove off the pier because their GPS told them to. This is the second time this has happened in a month. The, the GP local GPS is mixed messed up and it's telling people to drive off a pier. Uh, luckily, no one was hurt. Both the cars were rescued. Uh, the investigators would manage to piece it together and they, they listened to the GPS and the GPS said in a male voice, trust me, I know a shortcut. So, oh. um, <laughs> you know, use a female GPS, I guess, is the, uh, the, the rule there. Now, I still trust maps. I don't know about you, but I, I still like to use a map to figure out where I'm going to be going before I go, rather than, you know, spur of the moment, listening to the GPS as I drive. 
Um, and it also forces me if you know if I'm if I'm lost, I could pull over, open up the map, unfold it. I know if I'm awake because if I can fold the map back together, that proof that I'm still in good shape. Yep. I have any maps left? Well, they, do you have a map in your car? That other than the GPS? <clears throat> I do. As a matter of fact, uh, Annette and I, when we uh, took a trip down to Florida a couple of months ago, we went to the AAA in our area oh. and we got the uh, map and we got the trip tech, believe it or not, which we used to swear by years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that, that helped us a lot as a matter of fact. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on that same uh, thought, uh, Paul, for sure. I know. I feel sorry for AAA. You know, people don't even go in there anymore. <laughs> you know, it was, it was always packed with people get, like John getting ready to go on a trip, get your trip, get, get your maps. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, um, there's no maps in gas stations anymore either. Nope. You know, I'm looking for a map in a gas station. There is no such thing. They don't even, they look at you like you're from another planet. Um, you know, what do you do? If you want to go on a long trip and you don't have a map, you don't have AAA, what do you do? You take a globe with you? You know, can you <laughs> drive, drive with a globe in your lap, spinning it around? Uh, is this Florida or is this Texas? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, you got oh. to have the map. You got to have the map. Gotta have the map, you know. GPS, and and here's another reason not to trust the GPS. I looked this up. It, it's a government program. It was originally formed by the U.S. government um, in uh, 1973. Uh, the 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 government asked the Department of Defense to come up with a some sort of satellite global positioning system, a mapping system, and um, <clears throat> took them uh, till 1978 to develop it. And uh, the, the 24, there's only 24 satellites that run the whole thing. And they became fully functional in 1993. And then slowly but surely, they allowed the rest of us to use it. Uh, today, this is what amazes me. The GPS that we all use in our car is run by the United States Space Force. Not, not the government, not the Pentagon, by the Space Force. Well, I, said, think, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think... If it's the Space Force, what they should do is they should use Mr. Spock's voice. And when you when you decide that you're not going to follow the um, uh, what what the Mr. Spock tells you to do, the first thing it says is is that uh, that's illogical, John. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I, I, can, I can I can understand that. I understand. Yeah, yeah, I would. I did. You know, especially if it's Mr. Spock. You know. Sure. So this was this one comes from Australia. Another example of comedy becoming reality. A dairy producer in Australia um, likes to feed his cows sugar for energy. That's what he says. So now he's giving them chocolate, which is discarded from the Cadbury factory down the street. So if they can't use the chocolate for anything, he buys it from them or takes it off their hands. I don't know how he does it. And um, he, he gives it to his cows. He gives them blocks of chocolate, bars, pieces, nougat, um, doesn't turn the milk chocolatey, uh, but one of the cows broke into the neighbor's yard and started eating the uh, the mint and and laid some peppermint patties. So, uh, uh. If, uh, oh, you like that one? Oh, Wait. that was so <laughs> good. <laughs> another cow, another cow from the same farm, after eating the chocolate, went and ate some pussy willows and came up with Kit Kats. Then, uh. Oh boy! I know, I know. Don't worry, they get better. Maybe <laughs> he fed them some more chocolate, and one of them ate a glove, and he got butterfingers. Oh, they—they they are getting better. They are getting better. Okay, here's one more. Then he fed them. He fed another one some chocolate, and then it ate a scale, and he got a Milky Way. Oh, where's that? Where's my okay? Where's yeah? Where's the horn? Where's the horn yeah. for all of these? <laughs> I don't know. I. Can you hear the horn? Let's see. Let's try the horn. Nope. No. Honking a horn here. And it, no used, it used to work. It's going to have to go back to the repair shop, Paul. Yeah. Maybe you have a coupon. Maybe you have a coupon when you take it back to the hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. You know, <laughs> I just might have one. That's right. Wow. Okay, so this, the, speaking of coupons, not as speaking of coupons at all. Let's check our time here. This one comes from Slovakia, my home country. Um, 
my ancestors' home country. So this is news from Slovakia. Uh, farmers from the village of Patins, I'm not sure where that is, they're asking for help. What are they asking for help for? Let's take a look at uh, the a photo here. And uh, yeah, not for the pizza, but for these. Oh, oh there's another pizza. <laughs> I didn't realize I had two pictures of the pizza, just to make you doubly sick. Yeah. Oh, that's not, oh, I guess I don't have a picture of the swan. So this is um, uh, what the, the problem that this guy has, as far these farmers have, is that their swans are getting stoned because they're eating poppies from the poppy fields. So they're going through the poppy fields and they're, they're eating the big balls on the top where the flowers are and they become stoned. And then stone swans apparently get, get very aggressive. And, um, and the problem is that the, the, uh, the, the farmers can't do anything about it because swans are protected by the, Slovaki, um, the Slovakian government um, uh, as a protected species. I don't know if they're rare or if they, you know, the, the president likes them for swan, rose swan. I'm not sure, but they can't, they can't do anything about the swan. Um, so they don't know what to do. They're asking for people for help. Um, I don't know if you remember this, John, um, but we saw stone swans open for flock of seagulls back when we were in college. Um, you know, I forgot about that. Now, now it comes back to me now that you brought that to my attention. Wow. Don't, don't get, yeah, they didn't come around until 1990. So, <laughs> well, not many people would know that. I mean, so anyway, we're trying to get that one through uh, under the radar screen. There you go. I don't want to get angry emails from people looking, looking at watching us on YouTube and saying, you didn't go to see like a seagull. <laughs> we could However, have. We could have. I did see the birds. And when they heard the story about stone swine, they started to have flashbacks. So, you know, it could be. Um, also, the stone swans gave the local ballet company an idea for a re revision of uh, Swan Lake. So look for that. That could be. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The um, I, so so there was a I, you know, I lost my photo here. The um, um, maybe it's in here somewhere. What happened to? Oh, there it is. I I I I got. I went too far ahead here. So um, uh, this story comes from California. The um, um, Cheez-Its. John, you like Cheez-Its? You know those little. Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, in fact, the original. Yeah. I think they have flavored or you know different flavored ones or whatever. Uh, the original oh, yeah. are very good. Very good. They. <laughs> I was look. I looked them up. They even have whole wheat. So if you want to, if you want to pretend to be healthy, you can eat whole wheat cheese. Oh, whole wheat cheese. That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Like a yeah. healthy cheese. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so speaking of oxys and moron. So once a year, Kellogg, which owns Cheez-It, takes a gas station in uh, California by Joshua Tree National Park. And let me show you what they do with it. They, um, they turn it into pizza. No. They yeah. turn it into the Cheez-It stop. This is a Cheez-It themed rest stop, rest stop at Joshua Tree National Park. Nothing but Cheez-Its all the way through. Um, it's, it's on the 29 Palms Highway. It's the biggest, cheesiest roadside attraction to ever grace America's beloved highways and byways, according to the ad. Now, so this lady is standing in front. Uh, there's a giant... Uh, oh, this is the inside. Here's a, you can get Hawaiian shirts with Cheez-Its all over them. Oh my God. Hats, all different flavors of Cheez-It, Cheez-It mugs for whatever you drink when, you, when you're eating your Cheez-Its. Um, nothing but Cheez-It, which, I mean, if you let your kid pack their lunch, that's probably what they have is nothing but Cheez-It. Um, <laughs> but this is the world. Now, this is, this is the, the, the best part. This is outside. Uh, okay, so that looks like a gas pump. But that is actually the world's first and only Cheez-It pump. And it pumps bags of Cheez-Its out the nozzle. And this, for this lady, she's getting it into her Cheez-It bag that she just bought in the store. Wow. <laughs> they will shoot bags oh. of Cheez-Its into your car. Of course, charging you, you know, a, a dollar a gallon or whatever, however you, you charge for, for uh, a fill-up of Cheez-It. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, it could be dangerous. I was just looking at... Uh, if you remember, Cheez-Its have very sharp corners here. So you got to get, you know, yes, if that thing shoots it out too hard. Yeah, it could 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 do some damage. Put your eye out. Um, 
So I, I did some research on Cheez-Its, of course. Um, they're, they're, they were introduced in 1921, and you'll, you'll love it. They, were, they come from Ohio. The um, 1921, the Green and Green Company, a manager of, uh, manufacturer of snack crackers in Dayton. We're back in Dayton again. Uh, they would they they market them with the tagline a baked rarebit, you know, to make them sound like they're something fancy. Uh, Sunshine Biscuits bought them in 1932. Sunshine Biscuits was bought by Keebler in 1996. Keebler was bought by Kellogg in 2001. That's why Kellogg has it. They're not square. You may think they're square, but they're actually 26 by 24 millimeters, or one inch by 0.94 inches. So they're they're just barely a rectangle. Okay. Um, yeah, how about that? Um, so if you're looking for it uh, next year, if you're traveling in Joshua Tree National Park, it's in June that they have it. And right next door is a uh, car wash that specializes in washing cheese dust off of cars. So <laughs> you know, get too close. Boy, stands the reason. That stands the reason. Oh, yeah, John. You know, and what we would do, of course, is you roll down the window about an inch and you stick your fingers out to wash all that orange stuff off your fingers. Um Cheez-It is another is another one of those snacks like Cheetos that you eat at home. It's hard to eat Cheez-Its outside the house. That's all that, I that's, <laughs> Good observation. That's right. You when you come home and, and there's cheese dust all over you, you know, there's no doubt what you were doing in the car on the way home. That's uh, right. It's not like you went to a strip club and, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Although I'm sure I'm sure that's been done. Clear and perfume. Yeah, no, cheese it. Cheese it. That's it. That's a, <laughs> I'm not even gonna go there. I, I had too many dirty jokes there. Okay, so here's a swan. This is a stone swan for you. I knew I had a stone swan in here somewhere. This the, you can see the poppy field and the, the, I, you know the, the swan needs a bath. It's not too white anymore. Um I guess you know after all those poppies, it just doesn't care, rolls around and uh, <laughs> Just a, <laughs> just a happy happy creature the happy creature so yeah so so we go from swans to chickens so this is this comes from um um uh, this is for people who raise chickens in their yard this is a big thing i know john you live in north welton do they allow you to to grow raise chickens in your yard you know i'm not certain of that to be honest with you i'm not certain i really yeah. don't know karen how about in your neck of the woods no way jose yeah, now you would think Brexville, where I live, would not allow it, but if you go on Riverview, um, there's a there's a uh, uh, right near my house. There's a big house that has a chicken coop in the front yard, not even in the backyard, in the wow. front yard, with chickens running around. So Yuck. this is yeah, this is for them. This is called the chicken orb. Hot new thing for chicken farmers: the chicken orb. Um, it's a sphere made of metallic wire that allows chickens to move around and forage freely while preventing them from jumping onto flower beds or going out into the, the road, I guess, I don't know, where they're not supposed to go. So the chicken orb, that's what it's called. Um, you know, looks like looks like a weird sport, John, doesn't it? Yeah, it um, does. In <laughs> fact, uh, I'll have to look into this a little bit more in detail after the show, and maybe it might show up as one of our uh, weird sports in the future. There you go. Well, if you raise something other than chickens, for example, if you raise ostriches like they do in, in Australia, uh, some ostrich farmers down there, particularly the female ones, they said that not only is it good for ostriches, but you can also put your teenage kids or your husband in them, um, mm. if, and they won't go wandering off either. So uh, now... I went to the website <laughs> and they they have a, a frequently asked questions page. So one of the questions was, um, uh, it, it can can my uh, does this mean if I have a chicken in here, does, does it mean it can be free range but not cage free? Oh. I don't know the answer to that. Oh, one. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a nuance a there, obviously, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of those logic questions we used to flunk in in logic class, John. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other one is, does the orb replace my coop? And they said, no, it's very, it's a very useful accessory, but the chicken will still need a coop for a few reasons. And this is the one I like the best. Chickens need dust to bathe in. That's the funny thing they do when flapping around in the dirt. It's actually a really healthy habit. Flapping around the dirt in the dirt is a healthy habit. This is why Jose Ramirez is in such good shape. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a joke for the Guardians fans out yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's a good yeah. one. Paul. That's a good one. But then he's always, means, he's always playing with dirt on his uh, uniform for sure. There that you means, go. That's right. Yeah. That means chickens are really, really dirty. They are apparently so. Yeah. Uh, they said the other thing they said was that chickens like to lay their eggs in private. Another thing I did not know. Um, uh, you know, I don't think I'd want to have spectators around if I had to lay an egg. But they <laughs> just think if if a chicken's running around in this thing all day long, a hen, and then goes to lay an egg, it could be a scrambled egg inside. Yeah. Of oh. New innovation, John. You know, we can, maybe we could get into this business. You know, you know hey, you know, from from those kind of thoughts, you know, come great inventions, Paul. So we'll have to look into that. <laughs> Speaking of great inventions, I have one more, and then we'll get to, to our sports right here. So this is for my friends in Texas. The world's cheapest fully functional electric double cabin truck. Electric double cabin truck. The cheapest comes from China. A company called Xi'an Manjia. And you can order it online. Let me show you a picture of it. So that is the cheapest electric truck. Uh, it's got four doors. It's got a, a bed in the back. Sells for $3,000. You buy it from Alibaba, and it will they'll deliver it to your door in two weeks. Alibaba is the Amazon of China. It's so cheap. $3,000 or $30,000? $3, That's all it costs, $3,000. I'm not sure what the shipping is, but the the, the car, the, oh, the, the electric it's economical. Truck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ford is looking into it. You know, if Ford sells it, it'll be called the F dollar fifty. Um, <laughs> but look uh, at this. This is not a truck. This is a Texas golf cart. I think Texans would go nuts for this because they love their pickup trucks. It's got those little tires. It's about the size of an electric golf cart, only only you know more massive, which is the reason why Texans like their big pickup truck. I think this would be perfect. Um, $3,000. I mean, you can't fill up a pickup for that. So, you know, I think this, this would be, Mark, if you're listening down there, I know you're a golfer. This could be the perfect uh, thing for you to be tooling around down in Austin. And on that note, my horn that doesn't work, we will uh, move on to what in the world of sports with John Danilo every week. When we finish up with our with our great weird stories from the past week, we move on to the sports segment, just like any other legitimate newscast. And every week I ask our sports guy, John Denalo, my, my old buddy from, from college, fraternity brother, knows more about sports than, than, than anybody I know and trivia and all that other good stuff. So I said, John, find us a good sport that fits in the theme of real sports, sometimes strange, always funny. And John always manages to pull it at the very last minute. He comes trucking in with that sports story and a couple of really great photos. And where do you hear the sport that John has this week? John, what do you got for us? Oh, Paul and Karen, thanks for the big uh, introduction, Paul. Appreciate that very much. Thanks. And, uh, well, I think the sport this week really does meet the criteria that we have for weird and unusual and strange sports. But uh, our sport this week is volcano surfing <laughs> what volcano surfing karen and yes you heard this correctly the sport is volcano surfing and in some circles you can also call it volcano boarding because it involves two things a volcano and a board let me explain <laughs> Oh my God. Volcano surfers carry a long flat board made of either plywood or metal to the top of a, a volcano. And then they either stand on it like a surfer, or as this gentleman's doing, sit on it like someone who realizes how dangerous it is and slides down the lava ash to the bottom. Now, it's believed, and as for the origin, it is believed to have originated in Hawaii uh, 2,000 years ago when it was called hihula, or sled surfing, and the sled was called a papahula. So there's obviously some big-time history to this if we take it back 2,000 years ago. Now, this sport is so dangerous that British missionaries banned it in Hawaii in 1825. However, 
it is popular today on this on the Cerro Negro volcano in Nicaragua. And volcano surfing is also practiced on Mount Yasur in the Pacific archipelago of Vanatu and also on Mount Bromo in Indonesia. So we have three specific locations where people engage in this sport. Wow. Now, yeah, I, I put up some pictures for those of you who are, who are listening. I'm, the, the volcano is, is extremely tall, and this is nothing like skiing. This is pretty much straight downhill um, on volcanic ash. So there's smoke behind these yeah. people as they're going down. Yeah, um, it's amazing. It's it's an amazingly weird sport, Paul and Karen. And yeah. Now, what all could go wrong while volcano surfing? Let me count the ways. You can fall off the board. Oh, of course, and yeah. Cut, and get cut severely by the rocks and raw volcanic ash on the slope. You can breathe in poisonous gases. <laughs> or you could contract histoplasmosis from the fungus growing on the lava rock. Ugh. Oh, what's Wait a minute. And you can even be hit by, imagine this, flying molten lava because many of the best volcanoes that the surfers use are still very active. Wow. Look now, at the view. It's a nice view. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. But, but look at behind him. There's rocks, there's rocks spewing all over the place behind him. And in oh. front of him, look at this board. His board is covered with volcanic <laughs> rocks. Oh. I, it looks wow. like a toboggan. Yeah. It, it, Get to right, right, it's yeah. a good observation. He and and I'm gonna. I mean, he's got some big boots on. I have a feeling you're gonna explain to us what the boots are for. He sure. has goggles, so I'll give him credit for that. But right, wow. right. So he has, so 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 he has some sense about him. But uh, to go to the <laughs> more recent times, modern volcano volcano surfing was invented by National Geographic Channel adventurer and journalist Zoltan Istvan. And oh, yeah. he's credited, Istvan is credited with finding the, or uh, founding the modern sport in the, the year 2002. Wow. Now, Istvan created two categories of volcano surfing. The first one is surfing down an active volcano where immediate dangers come from flying molten lava and lethal gases, as we described before, yes. or can also consist of surfing down an inactive volcano where no immediate danger is present. Um, I mean, if I was going to do this sport, which I wouldn't in either case, uh, I'm sure I would do the one with the inactive volcano. It's, oh, of course. <laughs> it's a lot safer, obviously. <laughs> now, as Paul alluded to earlier, in both categories, volcano surfers, they wear helmets, goggles, gloves, long sleeve shirts and pants, or thick overalls to prevent cuts and abrasions. And that includes on the long climb to the top, there are no ski lifts and volcano surfing. So these individuals, as you see here, they're trucking up the volcano by foot. And once they get to the summit, they're in a position where they can start to surf down the volcano. Now, look at that. There's not even a path here. They're just kind of climbing volcanic rocks to get up to the top with the board on their back. That's exactly right, Paul. Now, once at the top, the riders sit on the board and use their feet as brakes to control their speed. The key to a good ride is to keep the board straight and centered and to lean back to maintain balance. Now, some very intrepid riders will prefer to lie down on the board while others prefer to sit or to stand. This guy here, look at this guy standing over here. He's standing. That's exactly right, Paul. Intermediate to advanced volcano surfers use snowboarding type boards to descend the slopes while standing. And some of them actually, when they're in process of going down the volcano, they're going to they're going to conduct tricks. They'll conduct oh, magic tricks. This is it. If if the if the Olympics are ever in Honolulu, this mm -hmm. they'll add this sport. They'll add this sport. People doing crazy people doing backflips on their on their snowboards going down a volcanic hill. That's exactly right, Paul. Got it. And yeah. so, so and so for here's a statistic for you. On steep slopes, 
the top volcano surfers in the world, they will reach speeds over 60 miles per hour. 60 miles an hour going downhill with you. That's obviously a rush and a thrill, right? I mean, on the yeah. danger side, right? But it's uh, it's obviously, obviously, uh, I'm sure it's uh, an, an adrenaline rush there. People oh, my God. And and it's not just to uh, a sport that's attractive to stupid men. Here's a picture of a lady going down the hill. Whoa. She is. That's exactly right. Uh, I have one. Oh, that look at oh, she, look at I I I I think she's at the top right now. I don't think she'd be smiling like that at the bottom. No, she's uh, about to make her descent. I think in a few minutes from this. So, uh, yeah. and then for date night, they even go. There's a couple, happy couple right here. Uh, yeah. Now they're kind of dusty. It looks like they may have uh, made it to the bottom. I don't know. Well, and that's not a sexual term, making it to the bottom. By the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So in closing, volcano surfing, it is an extreme sport that is far more dangerous than regular surfing, although at least there's no sharks. Just remember, when you get to the top of the volcano, make certain that you slide down the outside and not the inside. Oh, oh. I would write that on my hand just to make sure. That oh, yeah, I have to offer a disclaimer to everyone so that they're educated about what to do and how to go about doing it. But uh, wow. there you go. Volcano surfing, surfing down a live volcano. You would think that you've heard everything, and then John comes up with surfing <laughs> down a live volcano. John, what a great sport. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Photos. Oh my God. Scary. Are folks. you guys going um volcano surfing this weekend? Well, it's funny that you bring that up, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I noticed that there's something similar to volcano surfing coming up this weekend. And and I, I know for a fact that John has been training for it. Um the um uh, it's not volcano. I, I think it's West 25th Street surfing. Um the um <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a main drag down in, in downtown Cleveland. And John has been practicing. Now, he's been doing it incognito. Um, that means in disguise. And I have a photo. Somebody somebody who knows him happened to pick up a photo. Might have been my, your, your lovely wife, John. But uh, here's a photo of John in disguise Ooh. going down a hill on a, on a skateboard. I don't think I've ever seen John on a skateboard. But the uh, big event coming up this weekend. And there he is. Looks like one of the Blues Brothers um, on a yeah. skateboard. Good yeah. disguise. There's a striking yeah. resemblance, isn't there? Yeah, quite yeah. a resemblance. It looks just like you. Uh, I, I, maybe stretched a little in one direction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. Anyways, all right, John. What, what in the world of sports volcano surfing? Only here on What in the World. Thank you, John, again. Uh, you okay. Thank uh, you. Yeah, sweet been with our show before you know that when sports is over that means it's time for everybody's favorite weird news game bluff the co-host i want to get right to it um uh, similar to the stories are similar to the ones we've been talking about all day except for uh, all hour except for one thing those stories were all real these may be real they may be a bluff it's up to you karen and john to figure out which ones are real or which ones are bluff uh uh, uh, gambling is allowed, so place your bets. John and Karen, hands on your buzzer. Let's get right to story number one. Our theme is animals this week. It seems like every city has at least one dog park where the owners can take their dogs to play. But what about other pets? A park in Scotland now has a reputation for being the world's first snake park. It got that honor after a local man began bringing his 20 pet snakes to the park to sun themselves on rocks and slither around in the grass. People who were in the park with their children said the snakes were under control and they felt perfectly safe, even when the real boas crawled up their legs and did their impressions of feather boas. The man never brings his snakes if there are other pets in the park, but spoil sports are already complaining to the police and putting up no snakes in the grass signs. Okay, so a park in Scotland that caters to snakes. Real or bluff? What do you say, Karen? Um, I'm hoping it's a bluff. I mean, and he's got 20 snakes and he brings, I'm going to say it's a bluff. Okay. Karen says 20 snakes in a park is a bluff. 
I think I saw that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or snakes in a plane. Or or snakes on a plane. Either one of those. Yeah. Right? Snakes in a park. Real or a bluff? I'm going to say this one is uh, going to be real, and my only my only uh, concern on this is: Do snakes are they able to live in Scotland, given how far north they are? Uh, I say how far Ooh. north the, the country is, right? Because snakes are typically found in tropical areas. I mean, of course, snakes are found here in Ohio in the Midwest. I understand all that, but uh, I'm on a limb on this one, so to speak, and I'm going to say that it's a real story. Maybe a little nip they go to the park, you know. It's uh could be anyway. So John says that's a real story, and Karen says it's a bluff. Let's check with the judges, and the judges say, Way to go, John. That's a real story. Uh whoa, wait, very you good. You did say it was a real story, right? But your concern is that the snakes would get cold. That's right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well. I'm happy I, I'm getting off, uh, you know, on a winning note. Not a year necessarily, but <laughs> okay. I'm just going right. to get the first one right. Great. Okay. Scores one to nothing on John's side. Let's uh, get ready for another animal story. Story number two. One of the most famous scenes in the movie Animal House is during the Delta House toga party when Bluto yells, Gator! And everyone gets on the floor on their backs and shakes their legs in the air. A college fraternity in Connecticut decided to do the gator, but they didn't get thrown off campus. Instead, they set a world record for the world's longest gator dance. To make it easy to measure, they lined up students in a spiral around the school's quarter mile track. <clears throat> when they got to 64 loops, they played Shout by Otis Day. Someone yelled gator. And they set a record with a 16-mile-long gator dance. While they received no college credit, the fraternity raised $8,000 for a nearby reptile rehabilitation center. Okay. <laughs> so, the world's longest gator dance by a fraternity in Connecticut. Real or bluff? What do you say, John, my fraternity buddy? You know, Paul, I was buying into it until you got to the idea or the information point that it was 16 miles long. Like, that's... To me, that that's almost incredible to believe. So I'm going to say it's false. I'm going to say. It's oh, false. okay. I don't know. I think we could we could round up that many people. But John says it's a bluff. Karen, how about you? I'm hoping it's a bluff. Oh, I'm okay. hoping that you are that creative in writing this story. Oh wow! Oh, oh I got myself on the back here. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, let's check with the judges. Uh, uh, both Karen and John said it's a bluff. Check with the judges. Judges say. Congratulations, both of you. That is a bluff. All right. Okay. Karen gets on the hey, All right. Got a point. I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I should have made it shorter. Okay. All right. So let's, <laughs> let's check the scoreboard. And John is still ahead two to one, but everybody knows points are doubled in round number three. So Karen could come from behind just like uh, one of those racehorses in the Kentucky Derby and win. Let's see if she can do He's it. He's comparing me to a horse. <laughs> I think in a good way, no, Karen. No, I think no, in a good no. way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's get our plug in for the Dallas Wings to a flying horse. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Dallas Wings, one of everybody's, uh, our favorite WNBA team. By yes, the way. they are. Yeah. Um, okay. So, story number three the world's most expensive coffee beans used to be the ones eaten and then pooped out undigested by Indonesian civet cats. But that record was broken recently in Brazil when a coffee farmer noticed that his best beans were being eaten and pooped out by a flock of rare, large, black, Brazilian wild turkeys. Being a smart farmer, he collected the beans, washed off the poop, and began selling them as Brazilian wild turkey coffee. Coffee tasters gave it their highest rating, and the coffee was recently selling for four times as much per pound as the civet coffee, making it the world's most expensive brew, beans. If you order it at the Brazilian Starbucks, make sure you get it with a double shot of gravy. Okay, so farmer in Brazil catches wild turkeys eating his coffee beans and pooping them out, and he bags them up and sells them, and it becomes the world's most expensive coffee. Real or bluff? What do you say, Karen? 
Well, I want to say it's a bluff, but I'm going to go with real because it is so outrageously stupid. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. That, 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 that's a common logic used by players in uh, on uh, Bluff the Call. Yeah. So Karen says that it's a real story. John, how about you? You know, we haven't had a story like this in a while. <laughs> and uh, I think this is in the category of it's it's terribly gross. And so I'm I'm gonna pray that it's not real, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray that it's a bluff. Okay, so John says it's a bluff. Karen says it's so. John says it's too weird to be real. Karen says it's so weird it must be real. Let's follow that logic right there. Let's sure. check with the judges, and the judges somehow figured that out and said, "Congratulations, Karen. That is a real story." Oh my gosh! All right, Karen. Oh, wow. All Karen right. Won. Hey. The, these these wild turkeys actually have a name. They're rare. They're only in um, Brazil, and they happen to like the best beans. And and that the, the the farmer, smart guy, entrepreneur, he picked them up. He washed them off, started selling them, and and four times as much. Civic coffee is is like you know a hundred dollars a pound. So we're talking like four hundred some dollars a pound. This stuff is unbelievable. Uh, I'm glad I, I can't I, afford that because I don't want to drink it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We won't be doing any taste test on what in the world. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you look at the, what the, the time just flew by here, we're at the end of another episode of uh, everybody's favorite podcast, What in the World. I'm your host, Paul Seaburn. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, I want to thank our co-host and uh, media mogul at NewClevelandRadio.net, Karen Hale. Uh, thank you for everything you do for, for our show and for all the podcasts at NewClevelandRadio.net. Please go visit them. Download the podcast. They're all free. Uh, when you do that, please like us, follow us, do all those, uh, those things, especially on YouTube. Don't forget about YouTube because you get to see all the photos. And as always, I want to thank my old friend, John Dinalo. Thanks for everything you do with uh, What in the World of Sports, being our color commentator and uh, all around good guy. So, John, thank you. Oh, thanks, Paul. Thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun again, as it always is. <laughs> that's right. And as always, I want to thank all of our listeners, John, the, 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 the Bryans and the, and, the, and the Mikes and the Bobs and the uh, Lindas and the Simons and all you guys out there. And thank the you Donnas. So and the Donnas and the Donnas and the Annettes and, and, and the Riches and all those people <laughs> who are forced under duress to watch the show. <laughs> exactly. Well, have a good anyway, week, guys.